up, Radio Church? Good morning, man. Such a pleasure and an honor to welcome each and every person in here, man, to our first-time guests, our returning guests, our online guests. You're like, how many guests do we have in here, right? We want, it's such an honor to welcome everybody in the building today. I would love nothing more than to take credit for all of this, but y'all, this could not happen with our wonderful team members here. They are the dream team. They make it happen. Can we give it up for everybody? who serves here at Radiate Church. You guys are the real MVPs. But my name is Travis, and I'll be starting a new series today called Make Sense, right? And we're going to make sense, S-E-N-S-E, of sense, C-E-N-T-S. I'm from South Carolina, so I have to spell this stuff out because you guys can't understand what I'm saying when I'm up here talking, right? Making sense. And biblical finance, y'all, is just not the most exciting thing in the world. I can promise you nobody was chanting, finance, finance, and the other two experiences before you guys. It's a weird subject. The best way I could describe it is uh, it's kind of like the doctor's appointment you go to as a guy whenever you turn 40. Absolutely necessary, uncomfortable for everybody in the room, right? Absolutely necessary, completely uncomfortable for everyone because finance is kind of a, it's kind of a sticky and stingy subject. But the funny thing is our Bible has so much to say about finance, about money, about how we handle our stuff. Man, so much so that there's actually over 2,000 verses in our Bible about how we manage our stuff. We manage the things in our world. That is twice as much as faith and prayer combined. We'll say it again. Twice as much as faith and prayer combined. And I think the reason that it's such an object lesson in our Bible is because the way we handle the things we have, in a way, kind of supersede these other boundary areas and these other border areas in our lives. So when you think about it like this, think that there are places on planet Earth where two countries share a border, right? They have nothing culturally in common, but they're actually willing to trade with one another, okay? So, so my first language... <laughs> And my only language is English, right? But I can buy anything in the world. I don't need to speak another language that I can actually click a button and I'll let my currency do the talking for me. Does that make sense? It even, it kind of supersedes generational boundaries because every era in the United States, there's a picture of what having it or making it looks like. Can we agree on that? We all kind of have an idea of what making it looks like. So it's this thing in our lives they kind of supersede some other areas in our lives. Does that make sense? And Jesus said himself that if we don't get this finance piece right, it has some consequences to it. It's kind of got some dark consequences. He says that the love of money is the root of all evil. To quote the great theologian Tyler Durden from Fight Club, the things you own eventually end up owning you, right? And so I want to give you a new working definition for this word called greed, right? Because that's what he's essentially saying, is that whenever we're greedy, we have this definition. We have the assumption for consumption, right? We assume that just because we are, that we need more, right? We, we, we just have this thing inside of us that makes us just want more. We have perfectly good cars. We take them to the dealership to drive off in what? A perfectly good car, right? That's this condition that we all tend to have. But that root has some far-reaching consequences in a lot of other areas of our lives as well. 
Did you know that in the United States of America, the average American is $91,000 in debt? $91,000 in debt. That can be the tacky sweater you're buying for your Christmas party on your credit card. We all did it, let's admit, right? Or it could be your mortgage, something that's eventually become an asset to you. But the average American is $91,000 in debt. It even has relational challenges that finance or lack thereof having can create. Divorce attorneys would tell you that financial issues are the number one cause of divorce in the United States over infidelity, okay? And it even gets darker. It even gets darker than that. There are three categories of um, why somebody would choose to end their own life through suicide. The number one reason would be a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental illness. Number two would be a trauma that they experienced. And there's a big category for, for number three, a hopelessness. And one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest things that fit in that bucket, hopelessness, is financial hopelessness. As a matter of fact, before you exit today's experience, since the minute you've been on campus, seven people in the United States will have terminated their own life. And it could be largely in part of hopelessness. But you're like, Pastor, I came to church today. Can you tell me something good? Well, can I tell you the Bible has a lot to say about finance and it has a lot to say about how we can increase our relationship with God. Insert clap there. There we go for my people online. I want to give you a thought. I want to tell you that you were designed with the potential to steward everything in your world. I'll say it one more time. You are designed with the potential to steward everything in your world. And I, and I, I want to prove it by taking you to the first few pages of your Bible. Just, just, it's not going to come on the screen. Just follow me for a second, right? God has created the cosmos, and he's created the earth. He's created so many things, and he called it good. And then he created people, and he called it good, good. And he plants this garden, and he gives humans two jobs. We have two responsibilities after we're created. The first responsibility is we're asked to steward our influence. He wants us to be able to rule over the plant and animal kingdom on his behalf. He wants us to steward our influence. A lot of times in your Bible, when you hear somebody compared to an animal, what it's trying to say is this person has an assumption for consumption because they're wanting to take from themselves. They're acting like an animal, which an animal doesn't have the capacity mentally for morality like you and I are created to have, right? The second thing he wants us to have influence over is he wants us to be able to tend that garden. He wants us to be able to steward the stuff that he gives us. Does that make sense? He wants us to be able to steward the stuff that he gives us. So as we read through our Bible, God wants to set up a principle that should help us do this, okay? And I use the word principle for this reason, because a principle is something, if I can see it in the narrow, I should be able to apply it in the broad. Does that make sense? Everybody follow me? So he wants to set up a principle, and it's called the principle of first. So I want you to title today's message, First Things First, okay? First Things First. And so what I want to show you is oftentimes, if, if you've been to church, and maybe, maybe this is your first time in church, you've probably heard this kind of language, and we just experienced this like a few minutes ago, uh, giving's a normal part of church 
worship. But what giving looks like to us is we collect a paycheck and we have the opportunity to give back, right? So what I want to do is set up a couple apples right here, and I want to show you that whenever we set up our, the principle of first, God wants our tithe. And we're, we're going to get to what that is in a minute, so we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. But a tithe is 10%, okay? Does that math make sense? I want Swansea. A tithe is 10, okay? We're good with that. So he wants us to be able to give him our first because God's a God of first. He's preeminent, right? He was before the world existed. That's his character. So it is not within God's character to ever be second. Did what I just say make sense? He's first. He will not go against his character, so it's not within his character to ever be second. So he wants to set up this principle where he gets the first, and that's what we do whenever we come to church and we give our tithe, right? So I have all these apples laid out. These would represent our paycheck cut into tenths, right? So what we do is we go through our week, and, the, and, and, and something else gets one of these, right? We, we give one to the mortgage company. We give one for our car payment. We give one, actually, we don't give one to the cable company because we cut cable, but we've got Hulu Plus, HBO, Showtime, Disney Plus, uh, SEC Network, ESPN Plus, and by the time we get to the end of the week, we've got this one apple, right? And this is the one we're going to give to God when we go to church, but it doesn't work. Come on. It don't always work like that, right? You get the flat tire, right? The power bill is a little bit more than it usually does, and everything starts cutting into that apple till we end up with pieces, but God says, I don't want this. I want your first because it's within my character to be first. So can we agree that if we can give God our first, he can put everything else into order? That's his business. He's always first. So if we can give God our first, we can put everything else into order. So today we're going to talk about first all day today. So you can turn in your Bible to Exodus 13. And I want to go ahead and deliver point one today, which is my first redeems the rest. My first redeems the rest. We're talking about the principle of first. God gets the first, and he can kind of bring everything else in to order. So I want to read Exodus 13, and I'll kind of explain what's happening in the story. It says, now when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and he gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord every firstborn of a womb and every firstborn offspring of an animal that you own. The male shall belong to the Lord, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn among your sons you shall redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Why do we do this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery uh, into the Lord, right? To give you a little bit of the backstory there, if you're familiar with the Exodus story, um, God wants to take his people, and he wants to take them geographically somewhere to set up a nation. And we'll get there a little bit later, but he wants to set up a nation because he knows if he can create a nation out of a people group that all other people groups, including us today, can be blessed by that. Well, we got a problem. His people are in Egypt in slavery right now. So we're at the point of the story where the ten plagues have taken place, and God's people are going to get ready to go on this journey. And they're going to get ready. We haven't quite got to the crossing of the Sea of Reeds yet, the, the Red Sea crossing. So God is preparing his people for a journey. But he says, I don't want to just physically prepare you for a journey. I want to spiritually prepare you too. Because I want you to be a holy people. 
I want you to be so set apart that you are in contrast to all the other nations around you. But we got a problem, and that problem's called sin, right? Because sin creates separation from us and God. So he says, I need something that we can deal with this sin thing, and that you guys can become righteous. Righteous is a super church word for right with God. Does that all make sense? So he wants to set up a system, but he doesn't want to give up on this principle, okay? So the system he's going to set up right now is that there's sinful things that you do that we're going to call unclean, right? And something kind of needs to be able to deal with that unclean part so we can have a right relationship on this journey. Now, you and I don't experience this part of the biblical story today because of Jesus, and we'll get to that too in just a minute. But he's got to have something to be able to do that. So what does he want to do? He wants to take a firstborn lamb to redeem a firstborn donkey. So these two animals mean something more than just the type of animal they are. A lamb is going to represent the cleanest and purest of anything. And a donkey is going to represent things that are just unclean, right? It's just the word picture the Bible gives us to be able to think about that. So he says, we need something that we can actually be able uh, to set up to be able to redeem those unclean parts of us, right? It's the principle of first. So when we come to church, you know, and we, it, get, it gets time to giving, we have all these apples, we have all this paycheck, but God says, I want this one because I need this clean part to be able to undo all the unclean parts. Does that make sense? So I want to tell you what this apple's called. This apple's called your tithe, Okay. So point number two I want to give you is my tithe is first, okay? My tithe is first. I want to tell you a little bit about what a tithe is. What is a tithe? Number one, a tithe is 10% of something, and not just a 10%, but the first 10%. Because I could grab this apple, and I went to Swansea High School, but follow me. Uh, this represents 10% of the apples on this table. Agree or disagree? Agree, right? But he wants the first one. Because God's a God of first, and if I can give him the first, he can set all the other things into order. All right, tithe is the first 10%. And what's kind of scary about a tithe, when you really think about it, is really not even ours to give. It's not even ours to give. There's a, a famous giving passage in our Bible in Malachi chapter 3 where uh, the Lord says, bring the tithes into the storehouse. Bring them. He doesn't say Give the tithe to the storehouse because you can't give what you don't own. Do you follow me? You can't give something you don't own. We have a leader here. He just bought his wife a brand new sports car. And if he handed me the keys to that today, and he said, hey, I want you to take your wife on a date tonight, and I want you to use my car. If I don't return those keys to him, what's the word we use for that? That's stealing. That's, that's grand theft auto, right? Like, like the, the charge, not the video game, right? That's the same thing with our tithe. What, it, what, what, is the Bi what does the Bible say about uh, the donkey and the lamb? You shall devote the Lord every firstborn of the womb and every firstborn offspring. The males belong to the Lord. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with lamb. But if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. You shall break its neck. The tithe is not mine to give, and if I don't give it, I'm going to lose it anyway. I'm going to lose it anyway. He's saying if I can't get your first, you just compromise the next nine. And maybe you can do that week after week and year after year. But I don't know, just like Elliot said, I don't know about you, I'd rather have a blessed, in order, 90% than I'd rather have a compromised 100%, right? 
I want to tell you something else about the tithe. This is going to be incredibly cringeworthy, and I can't wait to see all of your faces for this. The Bible even suggests that a tithe, when it comes to giving, is the floor and not the ceiling. I'm going to say that again, because we all feel like, man, when we give a tithe, we arrive. And that is a good thing. That's what the Lord is asking us to do, right? But I would suggest to you that it's the floor and not the ceiling, and here's why. See, uh, in our Old Testament, uh, Dr. Tim Mackey says that not only would you give just the way we just described it, but there's a lot of Jewish festivals. So the average Israelite in our Old Testament could have given upwards of 30% of their income to the church. 30%. Why is that? Because of famine, because of neighboring countries who are going to circle all of us and starve us to death right now, right? We want the church to be able to help people. And so we would, so the average Israelite would give more than 10% over a calendar year. And, and tithing is not taught about in the same way in our New Testament. It doesn't get a lot of literature, but I would even agree to you that the same principle holds true, and here's why. When Paul talks about giving, he says that we need to be cheerful givers. Cheerful means hilarious. We need to be absurd about how much that we're willing to give because it's a representation of what Jesus is doing inside of us. The tithe is not even ours to give, and it's the floor, not the ceiling. Well, PT, where do we even get tithe from? Man, I'm glad you asked, and I prepared all week to be able to tell you. Turn to Genesis 14 with me right now. We're going to read a story that I'm going to call The Tale of Two Kings, Genesis 14. And, and to kind of tell you what's happening before we read this story, it has a lot to do with what we just read, but it's separate. Is This is before the Exodus story. So remember we said God's going to take a family, and from that family, he's going to create a nation, and that nation should be able to bless other nations. Does that all make sense? So he chooses the family of Abram. He wants to do that. He says your descendants will be more than the stars. People who bless you are blessed. People who curse you are cursed, right? Does that make sense? And so Abram's family is in the middle of this valley with a bunch of kingdoms that are at war with each other. And even worse than that, Abram's family got caught into the middle of it, and he has some families that are now in captivity. So he's been on a war campaign to get his family members back. And so we're at the point of the story where he's got some victories under his belt, and he's collected some things. He's amassed some things on this military conquest, and he's talking with two kings right now. I want to read you Genesis 14, verses 18 through 21. It says, And Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and he brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, professor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the possessions for yourself. Take the possessions for yourself. I want to tell you about the tale of two kings today. And we're going to start with the king of Sodom, right? The king of Sodom says, you've amassed some things, and I have a greed condition right now. And it's going to get bad. It's going to get way worse. I have a greed condition, so I'm going to tell you what I want. I'm going to take. I'm going to be like that animal. I'm going to take for myself. So much so, y'all, his name means burn. The king of Sodom will represent a kingdom that is so vile and so consumed with greed, God will have to wipe it off of the face of the earth, okay? That is greed at its epitome. He says, I'll take, I'll decide, I take, you get to keep this, I take. But it's an entirely different conversation with Melchizedek. His name is, my king is Zadik. Zadik is righteous, right? 
So not only is he a king who is just, and he's a priest, so he's like the conduit of heaven to earth, but he's saying, I represent something far above me. And they even talk about that. Abram, you're a believer. I'm a believer. How great is it what God has given you? And because of the conversation, think about this. this he brings him bread and wine. He brings him a royal feast and says, how good is God? Your spidey senses should be going off right now as a believer when you start hearing about bread and wine. You need to understand where this guy's coming from, too. It says he's the king of Salem or Shalom. He's the king of peace. His city means peace. We'll later learn it representing Jerusalem, okay? And so, so Abram goes, how can I not give? God is given to me. I'm presented this royal banquet by somebody who is both king and priest. How can I not give? I'm compelled to give. I'm not obligated to do anything like the king of Sodom asks. I have the ability and the obedient nature that I can actually give. Because I want to tell you something about Melchizedek. He's a lot like Jesus, right? He's a forerunner. He's an archetype for what Jesus is going to be. Because Melchizedek is both king and priest. It says he's a just king and he's a high priest, right? So he's just and he's the conduit of heaven to earth. That's the Jesus story, okay? Jesus is our appropriation for sin. He is our high priest. But he's like a king too. But he gets enthroned a different way. See, Jesus' kingdom is upside down, right? Jesus gets a crown of thorns. He gets exalted above everybody else, but it's on a crucifix. Jesus is our high priest, and he brings us into a place of peace. And when we experience that peace, we can't not give back to him. We can't not give. I want to tell you this about a tithe, too. I want you to understand a tithe is your testimony. A tithe is your testimony, and it's a testimony for somebody to come. Let's reread Exodus 13, 14. We're going we're gonna to flip back to Exodus real quick. And it says, It shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him with a powerful hand, The Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So when your Israelite son asks you, Dad, why do we give? You say, Because... You don't know this, son, but at one time, we were in bondage in Egypt. God radically moved, and we weren't quite where he was taking us, but he started a journey that was going to change us, and that's why we give. We're no longer in slavery anymore. I don't know about you. That's my story, right? right? I was in slavery. I was in bondage. I had a radical experience with Jesus. I'm not yet where I'm going, but I definitely ain't where I'm at right? That's our story. Because my little girl, Hannah, she gives here at this church. She writes an H on a tithe envelope, and she puts it in the Arkids drop box back there. But I know there's going to come a day where she's going to watch Dad give, and she's going to say, Dad, why do, why, why do we give so much to church? Couldn't we give that to the toy, toy aisle at tar, Target? Can we not just give it to them? And I get to say, Hannah, see, there's just a lot you don't know about your dad. She's looking at me right now, isn't she? <laughs> There's a lot you don't know about your dad. See, your dad used to be a lot like you. He used to go to church when he was a kid. He used to go to Sunday school, and a lot of people used to plant these little seeds, right? And as daddy got older, he decided he'd rather take for himself. He'd rather travel around, playing music, chasing girls, drinking, doing drugs, whatever he wanted to do, he would take for himself. But one day, Hannah, Daddy met Mommy, 
And Daddy loved Mommy so much that they had a conversation that people planted seeds in our life a long time ago, and if we're going to be able to have a relationship with each other, we want to make sure we have a relationship with Jesus is the most, first and foremost, right? And because of that relationship, God has done things in our life. I want to brag about, but y'all, it's the things that money can't buy. So I can't not give to God because I'm out of bondage. I'm out of slavery. I ain't where I'm going. But I know that God has taken us. So I can't not give. I'm not obligated to give anything. I want to give back to God for what he's done in my life. But a tithe is not even just a testimony for us. It's a testimony for someone else too. It says to bring the tithes into the storehouse, right? To bring them into the storehouse. At that time, there were needs that needed to be met with agricultural provision. There were needs to be met with financial provision. But we had the opportunity to bring our first 10%, our tithe, into this storehouse, right? Because I want to tell you something. There is no hope for the world like the local church. There's nothing in the world that can do what the local church can do. I love how we tell a story that whenever we give here, we're able to buy invites and that we can give you as many as you ever want to be able to walk out of here and invite somebody to church. You know why I love that? Because that tiny little one cent piece of paper has the ability to change the trajectory of human history. Because when you give that thing to somebody and their life is radically changed, they can't not help but change somebody else's. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to get me in trouble with my boss on Monday in here. If this is a storehouse that you don't want to give to, please go find one you do. This is the hope of the world, y'all. Target ain't saving people. Home Depot ain't saving people. The church that Jesus died for is the hope of the world. It's the place where people come fully alive. Our tithe is directly part of our testimony. Point three, and this is the one that's going to give you the warm and fuzzies. God's first for me is Jesus. God's tithe to me is Jesus. Exodus 13, 13. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn among your sons shall redeem. When you were born, were you born clean or unclean? Uh, I'll ask it a different way. Uh, parents, did you have to teach your kids to be bad or good? Let me say it another way. On the ride to church today, did you have to teach your kids to be bad or good, right? We have this propensity as humans to just gravitate to doing dumb things that are sinful and horrific things that are sinful. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, the clean for the unclean. 1 Peter 3, 18, once for all time. Jesus was the clean for the unclean. I love the story, too, in the Gospel of John in the first chapter. John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River, and Jesus is beginning to start his public ministry, and he wants to be baptized. And when John the Baptist sees him, he says, Behold, coming. It's, 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 the, it's the unspotted land coming to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the lamb for us. He is the clean for the unclean part of us. He's the only person who can trade that. I want to read you just one last piece of scripture. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. I think it is as beautiful as some of your favorites. It is 1 John 2.2. It says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the appropriation for our sins. Does it end there? No. But also for the sins of the world. Hey, I'm telling you this so you don't sin. Let's don't create any more separation between us and God, okay? But if we do, God's first is Jesus. He can be the appropriation of my unclean. And what I love about that verse is it's not just for me. He says he did it for the sins of the world. So if he did it for the sins of the world, that means two things to me. Number one, there is nothing in my past God can't redeem. Listen, y'all, I hear it all the time. Many of you in here in ministry, high-level ministry even here, you hear it all the time. I don't know if I can do this because of this. I don't know if I can serve because of this thing in my life. I don't know if I can even go to church because of this thing in my life. If God can't redeem that thing in your life, you need to understand he's not real. We're wasting your time. Pick out where you're going to lunch today. Set your fantasy football lineup right now. God can redeem anything. He is the clean for the unclean. The second thing is this. When it comes to having a right relationship with Jesus in this lifetime and definitely in the one to come, it is no longer a sin issue. It said that he died for the sins of what? The what? He died for the sins of the world. Spending an eternity with him and having him be a part in my life and transform my life in this lifetime doesn't have to come down to sin. It only has to come down to acceptance. Am I willing to accept he was the clean for all of my unclean? He's the clean for my unclean. It's no longer a sin issue. It's a belief and acceptance issue at this point. So if we're going to be able to practice this principle first, remember, principle is something that means uh, if we can see it in the narrow, that we can apply it in the broad. And if we're going to put first things first, we got to give our first because it redeems the rest. This first apple is our tithe, right? It's the first one to leave our hand. And that thank the Lord Jesus is a tithe for us. Was this helpful to anybody in the room today? Come on. So I want to slowly land the plane right now, but before we get to a point where we're going to do any praying and talk about next steps, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, today's message. I know it's a stingy subject, um, and I want to tell you, as a church and as your church family, um, we want the best for you, and so what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to help anybody who's trying to figure this journey out, okay? So number one, we're, we're not legalistic. We don't think Jesus is legalistic, so if you're, you know, if you wake up at 1201 and First Citizens took your mortgage out before you ever give your tithe, don't call First Citizens on behalf of Radiate Church and say you need it back, okay? We're talking about principles today. This is things we can put in practice in all areas of our life. But I don't also want to make anybody feel weird or uncomfortable today because maybe you feel like you can't give, right? I don't think that anyone doesn't want to. I think that sometimes we just get in positions in our life that, man, it's just financially tough to. I think we've all been there. And so we want to do something special, and we're going to talk about it through this entire series. Man, we want more for you than from you. And so what we want to do is we want to give you an entire bundle of resources that are going to help you think about today's message. If you text the word SENTS, C-E-N-T-S, to 803-205-2487, man, we want to send you a link with just a package of resources. We want to send you a, a Right Now Media subscription largest online database of Bible studies ever. We want to send you to uh, links to books that are going to help you think about this. We want to send you a sample budget. We're going to send you the ability to schedule budgeting consultation with somebody here. And if, and if you don't trust one of us, we're going to find somebody for you. 
okay? We're going to give you a portal that you can give, if, maybe if you just don't know where to do that. And we're going to talk about a 90-day tithe challenge. We're going to talk about that throughout this series as well, and we're going to capstone with that in two more weeks. And that's where we're all, as a church family, going to go, God, we're going to trust you with it, and if it doesn't work out, this church will refund your money to you, anything you've given over that 90 days. So it's not that sometimes we don't want to. We just want to help anybody who's like, man, I heard something here today, but I just need a little help getting there. We've we, we got a plan for that. And so what I want to do right now is just pray that God continues to work in us. So I want to invite you to bow your head right wherever you're at. And I just want the opportunity to pray. The first thing I want to pray for is just that this message, man, resonates with us. It's a stingy subject. It's a sensitive subject. It's a needed subject. So, God, we want to ask you, and we can give you permission and an invitation into our hearts and our lives right now to continue to challenge us about the way that we think about giving, God, that we can trust you with our first, God, that we can give you uh, a tithe, our first 10%. And, God, we can even give above and beyond that if you so put on our hearts, God. But thank you for giving Jesus to be our first. And while every eye is still closed and heads are still bowed, uh, I just want to ask, did somebody hear something about Jesus today that just felt different? Maybe you've never formalized a decision to put Jesus in the center of all of your life. Maybe you heard about him, but you said, you know what? Today's the day. It's a no-looking-back moment for me. Jesus gets everything of mine. If that's you in the room today, would you just be brave enough to slip your hand up just for a moment? And the reason why I'm asking you to slip your hand up is so we can put a clipboard in it. It's just to get a little information. We don't do weird stuff here. If we did weird stuff here, I wouldn't work here, okay? We're not going to do anything weird. Awesome. It looks like everybody's got a made a decision for Jesus. That's you online today. You can text the word CONNECT to 803-205-247. we got a team of people ready to pray for you. We want to send you a Bible. But right now, I'm just going to pray to conclude today's message. God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as a family, talk about stewardship, how we deal with the stuff we have. And God, just give us clarity to be able to pursue you and to give you our first from this day forward. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.